Well, welcome to another potluck, which means we're going to screw up the beginning of our show, which is what? No, we're not going to screw it up. You're going to screw it up. You're going to screw it up. Yeah, I already screwed it up. We don't know how to, I don't even know how (laughs) to do it. We're the something something for your, the performance of science training. Welcome (laughs) to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Rob Pickles, here with Trevor Connor and Grant. Well done. And can I just say, I've kind of accepted the fact that we're not going to do any research for these episodes. We're going to come in and give our opinion. Accepted the fact. I think that that's a core tenant of one of these episodes. But we have taken this to another level because we are literally going into this one and we don't have all our questions. I thought of my question on the way over here. I thought of my question when I was here. As I was hitting record. (laughs) Can I point out Grant texted us 20 minutes ago and said, hey guys, we can record this episode in 20 minutes, <laughs> minutes if I can get my act together. You got here quick. Where were you? I was at home. I was ready to go, man. You, you sent that text and left home and got here. You live like three times further away than I do. Yes. And you got here before me. I did not have to make a latte. You did not, but I did. I will also point out, as I was trying to do that intro, which I completely flubbed, both of you were stripping. Yeah, it's hot in here. It gets hot in this it's little It's cold room. in town and it's hot in here. It's not a good combo. It's getting hot and hurt. So this is uh, this is where potlucks are at. I hope everybody's excited. Everybody wants some... a hot steaming potluck. I am just shaking my head at Rob Pickles, right? as you should. Pickles. You've got your feet up. I love it. You grab the spare chair. That's the best way to do a potluck. Is this with is, your feet this up. is the way to do it. So we're going to change our order up today because I was the only one to prepare a question ahead of time. So. We're going to start with my question. I like how it makes me sound. I don't know why anybody would ever hire me after listening to this show. You've been typecast, just so you know. We have destroyed the future career for all three of us probably. with this show. Let's just, let's just face that. I think Rob's is intact. Rob's the one that comes out of these potlucks looking like... Yeah, that's fair. You it's it's a skill, good. just so you know. All right. Well home. I'll work on that skill. <laughs> Listeners, this is a great time of year to expand your training knowledge. Join Fast Talk Laboratories now for the best knowledge base of training science on topics like polarized training, intervals, data analysis, sports nutrition, physiology, and more. Join Fast Talk Labs today and push your thinking and your training to all new heights. See more at fasttalklabs.com join. Trevor? Yes. You want to ask a question? I do want to ask a question. So this is coming from my personal experience, but I think it's an interesting question. We can go a whole lot of ways with, so I would like to see where you guys go with it. I am a couple weeks away from Tour of Tobago, which is my big event. And the last day of the Tour of Tobago is this absolutely brutal Grand Fondo-y type race course with a whole ton of climbing, 9,000 feet of climbing in it. So I am trying to get ready for that. I'm trying to build my stamina for that final day. And of course, I have been going out and doing a lot of climbing on my weekends, doing longer rides. But here's the thing I have been thinking about. Which would put me in a better place? Going out and just doing three, four hours, but hitting some climbs really hard? Or going out and doing six hours of climbing, because this race takes about five hours, to do six hours of climbing, but keep it all slow and easy. And I will say I did both. Two weeks ago, I did the, I'm going to ride six hours both days on the weekend, but 
every climb, I was pretty close to my slowest time on Strava. I was just chugging away. This weekend, I went and joined a group ride. We had Matt Cook and a bunch of other guys there, and we hit a bunch of climbs, and we just pinned them. So, Grant, I'll throw it to you first. Well, it is a potluck, and it's me, so I would say it depends. It depends. (laughs) I knew that was going to be the answer. But what it depends depends on, in my mind, is what, what are you doing the rest of the week? And my point is this. If you're struggling to get quality base time in, consistent, long, slow distance rides. I don't love that term because they don't have to be slow necessarily, but conversation pace rides, right? If you're in in the normal week and you're not going to get anything over two and a half hours, then yeah, I think that six hour ride where everything's kept pretty moderate on the weekend is, is pretty important because I know for me, if I have limited time during the week, dude, I can get the intensity in. That's not a problem. I can hit the intensity. What starts lacking is those base rides that are going to allow me to come out of that intensity with anything. And how many stages is this? It's four stages, but I only care about the last day. But it's long, but you're going to have some riding in the legs, right? So I personally love if you're getting some intensity in during the week, stacking the three days of the weekend a little bit, right? With something that's very neuromuscular, even sprinty or cadence work on Friday, get things going after what is typically a rest day Thursday for my guys. Saturday, you could do something more specific. You could get after some of those things, get after some LT, you know, you're getting used to that feeling as much as anything else. But Sunday, man, nice long ride, enjoy the views, make sure you can get the right amount of food in, really spend that amount of time out there. That would be my gut reaction. But like I said, it depends on what you're doing during the week. Yeah, Grant, it's it's funny. You and I, we structure our training really similarly. I love the Thursday rest day. I love stacking intensity and then volume. I think that that does a lot when we look at muscle fibers. But that is science and potlucks. They're not about science. Oh, right. I forgot. Yeah, I know. It's true. Sorry about that. Well, you just can't justify anything with science. You can still have the same thoughts. That's that's totally fine. We, we, we know, where, we know where Rob is going. Now. <laughs> for me, Trevor, it's a slightly different question for me. Are you trying to increase your fitness prior to this event? Or are you trying to get your body ready for the challenge of one day? I think that different people need different things based on who they are and the needs of the event. If you remember when we talked about my Trans-Portugal, the training and the advice that you guys gave was the biggest issue you have to overcome for that is the multiple days on days end. And in some regard, it wasn't about fitness. It was more about that durability. And so I'm turning that question back on to you. If it's a fitness issue to get you through this, then I think you need to be looking at these climbs as ability to train at threshold or VO2 power and and to attack them that way. If you're more of a, wow, this is the biggest day I've done in a long time. None of my training is geared toward that. My fitness is great. My VO2 max is the best that it's ever been. I can hold my threshold wattage. My watts per kilo as good as they've ever been. 
Well, then I think that the durability side comes back in and it's like, yeah, you need that longer, slow or moderate burn because your biggest challenge isn't keeping up with everyone or dropping them. Your biggest challenge is dropping them at the end or being there at the end. And so I can't answer the question, but that's how I would look at it is ultimately what do you need as an athlete to be most successful in this particular event? No, it's a really good question. I, I get where you're going at with that because particularly any of our listeners who are intrigued by this, are, are they're going to have different scenarios. Some people are going to be doing a big, hard grand fondo, but they just want to finish. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you 100%. It's go out, get that volume. Like if this is a five-hour grand fondo, make sure you've done a five-hour ride yeah. leading into it. It doesn't have to be hard. Other people are like, yeah, I'm there to race. And I agree, maybe then the the long volume isn't enough. In my case, it's both. Because last year when I did that final stage, it was far and away the hardest day I'd had on the bike all year. And that killed me. I was dying by the end of it. And remember towards the end of that race thinking next year, I got to do some big rides like this so that when I come here, it's not a shock to the system. I go, this is hard, but I've done this. Yeah. And I think one of the things for me that's really interesting and it ties what both of you guys are saying together a little bit. And people know I take this bent on training, but what do you feel like you need becomes really important in this discussion too, right? Where are you confident? Where are you not confident? And it's funny because you can train way over here on the sweet spot thing. But if you feel really, really confident, you've got high end hit, you're going to do okay with it and you're going to find it. But long days, this is where gravel, I think comes into play a lot, like a seven hour day, eight hour day on the bike people feeling like they, A, can get the nutrition in, B, they can stay on the bike that long, C, they can push at the end of those things. And this comes into that idea. We've talked about this on the show. I know I have. We can combine those two things a little bit too, right? We can put three hours in on the bike, three hours of solid base, make sure there's some fatigue, and then hit a couple climbs hard so you're having to ride that hard place already with some fatigue. And I think that's an interesting way to look at interval sessions that a lot of people tend to warm up, get them done, and then maybe tool around a little bit and go home. But I know there's coaches that will put them a certain number of kilojoules into a ride. I'm not that exact on the, on the numbers, but get this many KJs in and then do the intervals. I'm a little bit more about time get in three hours, then do the intervals and then roll home. So another option there. Yeah, Grant, you bring up a really important point and that is ultimately practicing for that big day. Yeah, And I would say all things being equal, if it's not clearly you have to work on your fitness or you have to work on your durability, I would lead toward the longer day so that you can practice things like nutrition. How much are you drinking? What are you eating? We all know what tastes great in the first hour tastes like crap in the sixth hour. Your stomach can't handle it. But also along that, and Trevor, depending on what our weather does, trying to do this in representative conditions, ultimately, because we're looking at this as a race day prep, then I think that that really matters. If you are going to do those bigger, longer days, I do try to kind of mimic the course maybe not ride it at the intensity and obviously not the exact same climbs, but if it's big climb in the middle, uh, a little bit of a lull, and then, you know, then you can design a course locally for you there. If you're going to try to mimic race day, then you really have to try to mimic all the aspects of race day to be as effective as possible. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And to that point, about a month and a half ago, so early August, 
I went and did my first big long ride to kind of see where I was at. So I, not exactly the same as the race I'm doing, but I, I did the climb up to uh, the top of Trail Ridge, which mm-hmm. is a total of about 8,000 feet of climbing. And I will tell you, I was a mess. <laughs> first couple hours were fine. <laughs> you were at crazy altitude. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it was worse than that. Like I got out of Estes Park to start the main climb. That's where I discovered oh. that I've got ah. real issues with my shoes and my positioning. Mm-hmm. And I had to like on the last three, 4,000 feet of climbing, I had to stop like three times to take my shoes off and work my feet because I Good. couldn't pedal. Perfect. I'm glad that it <laughs> happened then. Right. dying, like exhausted, all this. I won't lie. Like if you read my Strava comments for that ride... I didn't quite get to the top and it's because this crazy lightning storm came over the mountains and all of a sudden I had to turn and get the the heck down the mountain. Blamed on the lightning storm, but you weren't, I saw you weren't that sad. I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) You know, there's like a restaurant up there. You could have finished taking shelter, let the storm pass, eaten some French fries, and then rolled out. Which could have been possible. So what I ended up doing was I went down to the visitor center in Estes Park. And I kid you not, I went into a back corner and took a 40-minute nap. Nice. Just You, like, put the sweatshirts over That's you? That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it was the only, like, even though it was mostly downhill back to Boulder, it was the only way I was going to make it. So I knew right then and there when I did that ride, I won't survive Tobago unless I, I get this in order. And, well, and have been, in your experience brings a, a piece of the puzzle into play too. Hitting the amount of time you're going to spend on the bike in a race is so important because there's equipment yeah. pieces, there's nutrition pieces, there's just passing that much time in a saddle pieces. I think that stuff's really, really important and you can get in the state of mind a little bit. And yeah. there's chamois cream pieces, mm-hmm. there's everything. You got to you got to work out the details. Pack a little extra chamois cream. I know. Yeah. So if our audience is interested what I have been doing since then is doing those long rides on the weekend. But after that epic fail, I've been, I was started them at like three and a half, four hours. I've been building up. Mm-hmm. Over Labor Day weekend, I, I did my first training camp in two years where Ooh. I did basically six hours a day for three days. Wow. Look at you, and, Trevor uh, Connor. Big legs on Trevor. Yeah, well, let me tell you. The epicness of this thing, on the Sunday when I started, it was 93 degrees out. Mm. Towards the end of the ride, I was heading up to Ward, which is at 9,000 feet, and I kid you not, I had to turn around because of the snow. Yeah, sounds about really? right. It was snowing up there. Huh, I was in Crested Butte Mountain Boy. Yeah, and it was accumulating, so I had to get the heck down, and I got rained on, and it was very cold. That doesn't make for a fun weekend. No. You know what does make for a fun weekend? Next year, Trevor, you should go to Italy with Chris Case and Alter Explorations for Yolamites 8,000, 5,000. That'd be totally up his alley. It would totally be. Chris would never take me. Oh, Chris would take you. (laughs) Chris will will not take me on any long rides. (laughs) He doesn't even invite me to them anymore. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. All right. Did we we squeeze all the juice out of this lemon? I think we did it justice. Today's episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Alter Exploration. Created by me, Fast Talk Labs co-founder Chris Case, Alter Exploration crafts challenging, transformative cycling journeys in some of the world's most stunning destinations. Amatra is a powerful tool used to focus your mind on a particular goal and create calm during challenging situations. Our mantra? Transformation begins 
where comfort ends. This mantra isn't meant to be intimidating. On the contrary, it should be invigorating. For many people, everyday life is filled with convenience, monotony, and a lack of time spent in nature. Alter exploration facilitates the exact opposite. Challenging, invigorating, life-altering experiences in the natural world. Alter's journeys aren't so much a vacation as an exploration of you and the destination. At the end of every day, be preoccupied as much by the transformative experience as by the satisfaction of exhaustion. Life. Altered. Learn more about my favorite adventure destinations and start dreaming at alterexploration.com. Training. Who trains anymore? <laughs> Trevor. Apparently. I do. He's the only, only one. No, Grant, you still train, but me... I've kind of lost my training mojo, I'm not going to lie. As everybody knows, I had a pretty big spring, right? I rode my mountain bike mostly across Portugal. I missed a day because my bike got lost by the airline. I know, I went to Finland and did some of Finland gravel, and that was the breaking point for me, right? We've talked about this, where I dropped out of Finland gravel because I kind of thought it would be more fun to go paddleboarding with my kids. And since then, that mindset, and I don't necessarily think it's sort of overtraining, I think that I'm just a little bit bored with riding bikes right now. And to go out and ride the same roads and the same trails that I always ride is just not that inspiring. I still love riding my bike. As I mentioned, I had a great three, four day weekend in an RV with some friends and we mountain biked all over the state and it was amazing and we had so much fun. But I just can't bring myself to train. And what I'm asking of you guys is because I know, I know my mojo is going to come back probably in the middle of winter and I'm going to be super stoked for next year and all of these big plans. And my friends are all going to say I'm crazy. I want to make sure that I'm still in a good place to do all the things that I love to do. I don't want to give up on biking per se. I don't want to give up on fitness and all of the things that I love, but gosh, man, it's the fall winter is coming what the heck do I do in the meantime to keep my sanity, to keep my fitness when I don't want to be out there doing hill repeats on my bike? Do I find a parallel sport? Do I just ride for fun? How do I make it through the next three months so that I'm still in a good place when it comes back? Before we even answer that question, one thing that I, I think is worth saying Everybody hits that point where they start to get stale and go, this isn't fun anymore and I, I need to take a break. A suggestion I always have for my athletes is let's pick something. For me, it's it's Tobago. Let me tell you, like I'm starting to feel that little bit of it's the end of the season. Am I still motivated? Tobago gets me really motivated. But most years after I finish Tobago, I fly home with my bike in a bike bag. I throw the bike bag in my garage and I don't reassemble my bike for mm -hmm. a month. It's like, I'm done. I'm happy. There was my big event. It's over. And I do find often having that thing, that last thing where I go, I'm going to do this and then the season is over really helps. Even if it's just, I'm going to go out on whatever Sunday and do this big epic ride and then put the bike away. Yeah. And I think that's, it's a little bit unique about your season, Rob, where <laughs> it happened in May. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, you had Trans-Portugal mm -hmm. in May. Right. Mm -hmm. So in order to be ready for that, you're cranking pretty hard 
before it's even nice out. You're mm -hmm. cranking hard through the winter. Mm -hmm. And I'm really adamant with people that have long seasons or they're trying to combine two seasons that there needs to be that break that's built in somewhere else too, right? There, a reason to kind of shut down. And, and I think people are really hesitant to do that mid-season. Oh, well, I got cross. Well, what about cross? I mean, if I take two weeks off now, I can't do that for cross. I think what you're experiencing a little bit is that we all have that breaking point. You know, especially when it's targeted toward an event. I think there's people out there, and I get into this a lot, where I train to train. It's part of what I do. It's part of my sanity. It's my break from work. It's my break from parenting. It's my break from all of those things. I like to go hard. I've always done that. That's just some of who I am. But that's an hour and a half, mm -hmm. right? You know, maybe I'm hitting the trainer. Maybe I'm doing something like that. But when I have an event calendar... And a lot of my events are tied to my athletes' events. Mm -hmm. So when I get done with cyclocross nationals, yeah, I don't touch the bike. Or maybe I'll ride it with them when we get to Europe. But then when they're done in Europe, I do another one, which is probably the complete wrong time for me to take a break. But I'm sitting there in the middle of February going, I'm exhausted. I haven't done really anything in a month, but I'm exhausted. It's that mental piece that really can wear us out. So I guess what both of us are talking about here is that's pretty normal and the timing of it for you is just really odd. But let's roll to part two of the question. Part two? Well, oh, yeah. what to do. Yeah, well, actually, let's, let's stay with part one real quick because as you were yep. talking, Grant, I had an epiphany. I think that why this year has been particularly hard for me, and you called it out, I targeted a really big event really early in the year and that meant I spent so much mental energy having to train mm -hmm. at a time that I didn't want to train. Absolutely. Over the holidays. Absolutely. My, my trainer is in an uninsulated, detached <laughs> garage. It's usually the same temperature in my garage as it is outside. Do you so, have to um, walk to the garage? Through the snow. I have to <laughs> shovel my way from the back door to the garage. No joke. I usually do it in a pair of snow boots and bib shorts. It's a great look. Classy you should look. try it. Yeah, it's solid. You, you know, but that's like hours of my life that you really have to motivate yourself to shovel your way to the garage, to sit on the trainer for two or three hours. And frankly, I really didn't want to do it, but I was able to, for the most part, I didn't really do all the training I wanted to, but for the most part. But I think that I spent so much mental capital to pull that off that I'm just left with nothing at this point. You know, to be honest with you, you were basically doing a very non-traditional season. You had your big events then. Yep. And you didn't really have anything after that. I would have continued the non-traditional season. I think if I were you, I would have just taken June off. And I would have taken June off if it wasn't for Finland. Finland. And, right. and I'll blame that one on my wife. My wife ran Masters <laughs> World Championships in Finland last year. And she loved it and she wanted to go and she was looking for a reason to go back to Finland. And so that's where Finland Gravel came from. Sure. And so I did take the break, but I took it after Finland. I tried to train through Finland and then I did, I took more than a month off the bike. But what's hard now is there isn't that event, say in December or January, that you have to get going no. for. Right. No. And that, without that event, that's where the motivation's gonna lag a little bit. And when you look at a season that way, you have to look at the season not as the months and dates on the calendar. Mm -hmm. You have to look at it as the season in and of itself. 
And maybe it would make sense to put something in there, but maybe it would make sense to put something completely different in there. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this comes to part two a little bit as what do I do now? And, you know, that's really interesting because my question was going to be, where do you guys add cross training in that's not the bike? And I don't even really consider strength cross training. I think strength is very mm -hmm. necessary sure. for the yep. bike, right? But where do we put that cross training in, in an existing schedule? Do we keep it in an existing schedule or is it very much an off season thing? So I will take yours and roll it into mine. <laughs> okay, do it, do it. But I do think it's really important and can be incredibly helpful to have a cross training component that you feel comfortable with, that you can turn to in the off season, that is going to help you develop or retain aerobic fitness maybe some of the same crossover in strength so that when you come back to the bike, maybe your legs are a little behind, but your aerobic capability is pretty solid. So could I interrupt quickly? Did Grant just roll us into his question without actually asking a question? Well, he seamlessly rolled it. He's like the Chipotle of question askers <laughs> over there. I, I <laughs> wish I had known you in high school because I bet you were amazing with your teachers in coming up with Making them feel good when you didn't do your homework. He didn't have to. He didn't have to say the dog ate his homework. He just got them to unassign the homework to him. Right. I sit here, brokenhearted. You know, I exposed can't, I, by Trevor I, Connor. I, I can't even do this. But Grant, like the teacher is going to go, "Where's your homework?" And you're going to do some soliloquy that ends with, and that's why I feel you should give me an A plus <laughs> where you were explaining why you didn't do your homework. And somehow the teacher is going to go, yes, yes, that makes sense. Or, or my goal was to just talk long enough that they forgot their question. <laughs> but that's why I did so well in high school in my first semester of college. And I'm going to put this out there in the world. At midterm, my first semester in college, I had three Fs and a D minus. <laughs> that translates to a GPA of 0.144. You were a square root club. I was 0.144, and uh, I managed to stay in college and get my you-know-what together pretty quickly, but... That transition was hard because what you were describing did not work with a college professor. <laughs> no. Not well, at least. <laughs> I tried. I tried. I, I definitely tried. But back on task. <laughs> what were we talking about? I don't think it matters at this point. But what do you guys tend to go to as an off-season kind of cross-training piece? And I think we're going to touch base for, for you on this, too. Let me just quickly throw this out because I think you're going to be really happy with the start of my answer, which is kind of going with your question and finishing Rob's question of, you know, Rob is demotivated right now. He doesn't want to go out and do the training. What should you do now? My answer, at least initially, is what sounds like fun? I think this is the point where you don't go, what is optimal for the cross training yeah. so that you can be ready in May when we're sitting here in September I don't think that's going to get you overly motivated. I think you just need to look at what gets you out there. What's going to make you put on the workout clothes and, and go and do something that you're just going to enjoy and say, hey, I just want to do this for the sake of doing it. Whether it's hiking, running, weights, roller skating, whatever it happens to be. Oh, wow. Keeping yeah. it old school. Yeah. I was about to say rollerblade. I'm like, no, I got to go older school. One of the things that I really like with athletes too is to change it up in another way too, which is to look at this and say, 
let's find a competition in the off season that you have to train for. That's not cycling. Mm. That's new. That's mm. different. And it, and it speaks to what Trevor's saying about the fun. But the other thing that it brings into the table that I think is neat is for maybe the first time in a long time for a lot of us, you see that really big learning curve, that steep learning mm. curve where you get really good at something really quickly. Yeah. And that starts to feed in that competence piece of the SDT, the self-determination theory that we talk about a lot in, in here about defining motivation. You're excited. It's fun. It feels good. And that really can roll over from sport to sport. I think well, you got to get the Nordic skis back on, but I haven't been Nordic skiing. God, I'm a terrible Nordic skier. I have been doing a lot of eye racing, online car racing, because you know that's <laughs> what I do. And I'm very excited your heart, about it, but I'm terrible. I am horrifically <laughs> bad. It is a frustrating experience, and I can't understand why I'm so slow. So that actually reminds me, just to make you very happy, after you told us about all your eye racing. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to spend the money on that, uh -huh. but it motivated me. I went and found a Gran Turismo emulator okay, and downloaded it. And I have been playing Gran Turismo nice. on your motivation. Nice. Perfect. It's fun, right? It is actually kind yeah. of fun. Well, when, when you get good at that, then you can switch over to the real men who do iRacing <laughs> and women and real people. people. You can switch over to real people yeah. Yeah. iRacing. I don't do that. It's not my thing. Dude, stay away. Okay, but what do you do? I mean, what else do you enjoy? Nothing? Just the bike? You know, I love running. The only problem is I get injured. I'm like sitting here with an SI joint issue because I went running the other day. Yeah, but you don't go running smart. You don't do a smart buildup. You decide to go for a 10-mile run. That is not true. That's not true. I decide to go for a four-mile mountain run. <laughs> straight up. Straight up. My door. <laughs> Maybe then you do a combo of hiking and jogging. Do a uh, little yes. bit of That's called riking. Yeah. So, you know, look, to, to add to that, what I'm going to say is sometimes it's taking something that you know and that you do frequently and just changing it up a little bit. So an example I'll give you is two years ago when I was in October and really demotivated and didn't really want to train. I, I had actually just bought a new house and I had put weight equipment in my basement. And I'm like, on the one hand, I'm really motivated to go into the weight room because I got all this new weight equipment. It's cool. On the other hand, I don't want to build a weight plan. Mm. So I spent a month where I went down there. I'm like, every time I go down here, I'm just going to do what I feel like. Bench press. I did bench press. I did just about every exercise under the sun. But it was just kind of go down there. What do I feel like doing today? And that's what I'm going to do. Well, I think coming back to the crux of this, I think you almost have to shift the goal a little bit. Okay. And the goal might not now be competition. So what's the goal? Why will you exercise? And, and, you know, the running joke in my household is that I like to be competitive. My wife likes to be competitive at sports events. We train to do those things, but the ultimate goal is just to look good naked, like to not get Wait, overweight and out of shape. No, we've stated that. We find these things in order to age gracefully, in order to be as healthy as we can possibly this, be. Is this why you guys were taking your shirts off? <laughs> to see how much training we've been <laughs> doing. Yeah, <laughs> you're training. I'm, I'm training pretty good. But I, but I think ultimately that can be an off-season shift. You know what? I want to be healthy. I want to make sure that I'm maintaining this. I don't want to get on a roller coaster. So that means that I'm building toward this goal that's completely different, that can take a completely different type of exercise. It can just take activity instead of training. And I think those two things are totally different, right? And I think that's a place, 
I've written that in many programs, stay active, but don't train. And I put train in quotes because people know what we mean when we say training. Yeah. And maybe there's a little bit of a divergence right now for me because my body kind of feels like it wants to train. It's ready to train. It's just, it's my mind that isn't there. And ultimately, I think I'm just looking for permission to go just ride my mountain bike every day and have fun. Yeah. And and forget about the base zone and just do VO2 max climbs until I can't do it and then go downhill again. That's what I mean by changing it up. You can even do something you regularly do. Just say, there's no training plan. I'm not going to track this. I'm not going to look at my zones. Let's go to some of those trails you never do because they're they're not good training mm-hmm. and hit them and just go, I don't care. I'm just going to have yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's plenty of those, right? There's plenty of these places that we avoid because it's not good training or it doesn't work for today. Mm-hmm. And you can go and just ride. Mm-hmm. And that's that idea of be active, do stuff, don't train. But I think that's really important. But what else do you do? Now I want to go to well, my question. Let's go question. back to your question. Yeah, yeah. What I, I want to go back to my question is, the reason this comes up a little bit for me is that we live really close to my kids' school. Mm-hmm. They ride their bikes to school every day. And we used to walk up to school with them because they were three or four and riding their bike was really slow. And eventually, you know, River got a little faster and we're running behind mm-hmm. him trying to keep up. Now we run to school every day. And then we are already up there. It's only a half mile, but now we elongate these runs. And most mornings when I'm in town, I'm doing a two, three, four mile run every morning and then doing my normal bike training on top of that. And I found huge benefits to that on a bunch of different angles. So I've included running into that. What other sports do you guys kind of encourage in terms of crossover? And I can explain like what those benefits are, but. Yeah, I'm going to say. The one thing that's really important is don't keep doing the sport you do all the time. Mm -hmm. Cycling is an imbalanced sport. It really works some muscles. It doesn't work others. Running also is a bit of an imbalanced sport. All these sports, if they're all you do is the one sport, you are going to be imbalanced. And this is the time of year to say, I'm going to do things that have a different movement that work different muscles. A lot of ways you can skin that cat. But don't just say, you know, I'm a cyclist. I've been racing all year. Now all I'm going to do is just go mountain bike for a month. Yeah. You're going to get yourself out of balance. But I will say mountain biking is a bit of cross training in that it is training complementary skills. But no, I do agree with you, Trevor. The other thing that I want to say as a caveat before we begin this is if you are still trying to be in a peak performance mode for that particular sport, that the cross-training really shouldn't come at the expense of the training for that sport. We all know triathletes, I love you, but you're not the best cyclists in the world. You're not the best runners in the world. You're not the best swimmers in the world. You're pretty good at all three of them. And so I think, Grant, your case is that you're able to do all of your bike training with additional running added on top of that. And I think that that's sort of the question that you're asking here, right? We're not taking hours a week out of your bike training and doing a different sport. It's what do we do on top of it? Well, and I think part of what got me on this is that what I found, and this goes back to when I broke my collarbone years ago and I had to do a lot of walking and just, I needed to move and I couldn't run because I was in a sling and I did a lot of walking and I was walking three, four miles a day. I was walking kind of hard and I came out of that with a shocking amount of fitness. Hmm. I was blown away at how- Maybe you were just recovered from being overtrained. 
No, <laughs> not at all. Because it happened at the beginning of Cross where I tend to be a little undertrained. Coming in, yeah. But I was really kind of blown away as we forget that, you know, low zone two on a bike is really equivalent for a lot of us to a high rate of walking. It's not really equivalent to running. Running's mm -hmm. harder yeah. for a lot of, especially if we're not efficient. So I was doing all this walking and I came out and aerobically I was fit. Yeah. And like, it was my legs that were failing me for the first time in my life, not my lungs when I got back on the bike. And I retained some of this running. And what I found is it, especially if I do it in the right energy system. So for me, base running is nine, 10 minute miles. It's not very fast. And that's how we're running. But it's this complement mm -hmm. because it's more time in a base zone. Yeah that I wouldn't normally get. It becomes this two-a-day thing. I had an athlete ask me today, Trevor's nodding his head vehemently because there's some evidence that the two-a-day can help. I had an athlete ask me about two-a-days on the bike, but where I watch a lot of athletes go is kind of do two in the morning, two in the afternoon. And it's like, that's a lot, you know? Yeah. Like the nice way to do two-a-days is that hour spin in the morning and then a workout in the afternoon. Have that. And that running became that peace for me. And one last thing I'll throw out there is the running also really good for the bones mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. a cyclist. And we've watched a lot of cyclists like fall over, barely hit the ground, five bones break. Oh, there's a lot of research showing osteoporosis and you know bone loss in cyclists. You need to do this other work. So some of that pounding could be a benefit to that. Yeah. yeah, it certainly can be. You know, Grant, I think that if we look at really any of the rhythmical endurance sports, then the central adaptations that you're going to be having meaning your heart's ability to pump oxygen uh, and pump blood. That happens regardless of the sport. doesn't matter if you're walking, running, hiking, Nordic skiing, pool, aqua jogging, and that stuff transfers over, right? The things that don't necessarily transfer over are the things that happen in the periphery because you're using different muscles and a slightly right. different movement pattern, so on and so forth. But that is where I think coming up with cross-training that is similar enough to a rhythmic endurance sport that you're able to maintain a relatively steady workload for an amount of time, but has complementary benefits. You're saying being a weight-bearing activity. Mm -hmm. Nordic skiing doesn't necessarily have that same complementary situation because you do lack the pounding. But other things that do, like weightlifting, right. they don't have the endurance aspect of that. Sure. You know, And so I do think that running is very unique but what I will say is if you are doing it on the cross-training side of things, then something like trail running or running in a manner that allows you to cut left and right, up and down, more yes. or less pounding. The one downside about just regular old running on the street, and you see this in runners all the time, that rhythmical repetitive loading in one particular manner, it does strengthen and increase bone mass, but it tends to do so in very specific ways that are aligned with the forces that sure. is seen and ultimately things like stress fractors or whatnot can develop. For cyclists, I do think it's beneficial, but maybe not as beneficial as say running on a trail or a soccer match that you're playing, you know, for relatively long amounts of time, you know, mm -hmm. maybe it's a less competitive, more of a fitness, you know, a beer league sort of soccer. Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff's important. And I do think one of the things that's worth kind of throwing out there to my guess is a lot of our listeners, at least in my experience as a coach, is when you give that other sport, they got to swallow their pride a little bit. And notice what I was talking about when I go for my runs. It's nine, 10 minute miles. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's yep. slower. That's uh, slow. No. 
I do a month of running in the fall. I build up to a 10 yeah. mile. <laughs> <laughs> but but and, and, and as a former triathlete, there was a point in time where I was training much faster than that, yep. running, you know, sixes off the bike. I was never a fast runner, but I was okay. So coming back to that thing and going, all right, the running is a compliment or run walking mm-hmm. is I think something that's, you know, it got brought up again earlier in terms of the hike walk, riking. 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 Yeah, yeah. But even in the neighborhood, just having a little bit of that walk run, even a a walk. I like putting walks in people's recovery days because I do think it just a little bit different, gives something different. The other thing that I think is absolutely critical to add during that time of year is- My ex-wife was a pole vaulter, you know. That's right. Damn My it. current wife. I actually was a know pole a surprisingly <laughs> large amount about pole right. vaulting. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to didn't mean to rip <laughs> a scab off you there. Oh, Damn. Yeah. Do you know how many meets I went to and I was counting lefts? And if you're not a pole vaulter, you counting don't know what lefts. that means. But look, I gotta say one thing that I think everybody needs to include at this time of year is some sort of strength training, some sort of functional work. To me, that is critical. Like I said, there's this kind of weird contradiction in doing these sports where you can get very good at a sport, but at the same time, your body becomes increasingly fragile. Mm -hmm. Right. And you need that time to just get your body healthy and strong again. And so I have athletes all the time. They're like, the strength routine you gave me, how's that going to make me stronger on the bike? Or how's that going to make me a stronger runner? And I go, it doesn't. It's going to make you healthy. And it's the reason that you're still going to be biking or running 20 years from now. But I do think it's also important as we kind of go into this time of year to note that you can go off the bike, you know, and do something different and train in a different way and come back to the bike, not worse, maybe better. Some of the best years I've ever had on the bike were coming off of a full season of Nordic skiing. And I'm watching a lot of guys, especially masters guys and women now doing a lot of uphill skiing and schemo and man they're coming back as aerobic monsters when they get into the spring and they're excited about the bike you know they'll do a schemo competition or they'll end their kind of winter season transition they're pumped for the bike they're excited for the bike and their aerobic fitness is through the roof schemo that sounds good to me right now but i think there's that component of things that say hey listen it doesn't have to be exactly the same to still be really beneficial and can do really wonderful things for the motivation. You'd be a good ski mower. Nah. But don't worry. It's middle of September in Colorado. You can ski mow in about a week. Yeah, yeah you're, we're not very far away. I know. For both beginners and veterans, polarized training is the best way to get fast and stay fast year after year. And this is the perfect time of year to be thinking about how polarized training can help you. In our new guide featuring Dr. Steven Seiler, explore fascinating and helpful topics like how polarized training is different from sweet spot, how to bust out of performance plateaus, how to polarize all season, how to build durability, and how to time your high intensity work. With this complete guide from Fast Talk Labs, you'll have everything you need to polarize your training like a pro and unlock your elite. Learn more at FastTalkLabs.com. Well, guys, I think that might wrap it up. That's a short one for us. That was a short one. I'm leaving here and I'm going to buy some schemo gear. (laughs) Actually, let's be honest. I'm going to do 22 hours of research before. (laughs) And then you're going to buy it. And then 
Can I actually just point out? I would have been the one that would leave here and buy all the yeah, 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 gear yeah, and then it. call yeah, Rob yeah. and go, what did you <laughs> research? <laughs> you're you're going to research. Can I point out, I've always wondered about this. We live in Boulder, mm-hmm. middle of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks of skiing when they think of Colorado. Nope. There are no ski shops here. Yes, there are. There's there like are one. There's no. four in town. Christy, Epic. There's at least four in town. Dude, there's Crystal. Crystal. That's right? three. How have I never seen any of these? Dude, blinders, man. Yeah. You're it's looking one for of those bike things, shops. You don't really ski that Well, that's because you can't not see bike shops in Boulder. <laughs> that's true. You can't go three blocks without seeing a bike shop in Boulder. That's and some point. of those are ski shops, too. That is a good point. Boulder Cycle Sport. Oh, Boulder Cycle Sport is Nordic town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I stand corrected. You should stand corrected, but you're sitting. <laughs> and that's the appropriate way to finish this episode that has been another episode of fast talk keep going i don't know the outro but i the, am bringing it up but keep going the opinions of rob and trevor and especially grant Holicky are not the opinions of this company so don't sue us well trevor's are it's his company. sue him <laughs> sue him don't sue me Check us out on the social media things. We're on Instagram and the Twitter. And uh Twitter. And even on the website. Isn't it X now? It is X. It's tweet it will always be Twitter to me. And uh on the website you can check out us eating hot wings and sweating profusely. For Grant Holicky and Rob Pickles, I'm Trevor Connor. Thanks for listening. Is that online now? Yeah, it hmm. is. Hmm. Go figure. I thought we told you. Man. I'm out of the loop. I apologize about that. I was certain I had told you. It it went up last week. Oh, how's it doing? People like it? Do it well. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. It is. It is highly entertaining. Nice. Especially (laughs) you. Siler was here and he didn't hit us up. I'm sad. He was here for six days. I I reached out to him. Not here, here. He was in the States. He was in Boulder. He was talking at USA Swimming. Yeah. I love how we kind of, all of a sudden, somebody comes over from Europe to the United States. I'm like, (laughs) oh, they're nearby. Why did you know? It's kind of a big country. It's the closest closest we've been. We chatted a little bit about that. Dude, I had some Thai food this weekend. Tore me up. You're kind of weak. I don't know that I'm weak. Hey, you're the guys that like the hot sauce. I love hot sauce. I, I, I had no bones about coming into that episode and going, I'm a wimp. Well, Dude, that episode got me fired up. Fired hot up. Sauce. Dude, I'm still eating those hot sauces. Dirty dicks, man. That stuff is so good. It's time to be done. <laughs> and we're done right there. And why are you still listening? <laughs> <laughs>